2020 has been untoward. Untoward. From the death of Kobe Bryant, to the coronavirus pandemic, to the acquittal of a United States president in an impeachment trial. And let's not forget that something that looked like a nuclear bomb went off in Beirut, the least of which 2020 has had its talons in sports, with basketball in a bubble, the Blue Jays playing in Buffalo, and the college football map being curiously not really. Divided along the old Mason-Dixon line between the northern non-football states and the southern free football states. Today, many Americans consider the Mason-Dixon line a symbolic border between people, politics, and ways of life of northerners and southerners. And now, with the college football season decimated and the NFL's preseason canceled, our collective fingers are crossed that the NFL's regular season does not suffer a similar fate. Without the preseason, we lose that annual tradition of fluctuating value created by the highlights from the third quarter of the Great Lakes Classic, otherwise known as preseason Lions at Browns. There will be no single juke launching Amir Abdullah or anyone else for that matter into the second round of redraft leagues like what happened to the Lions rookie back in 2015. No Christian Wade hype about his ability to transition from rugby to the NFL. No Victor Cruz running through a Jets secondary in a single-digit jersey that was originally intended to signify his fate with the team. No unheralded Jets undrafted free agent named Danny Woodhead going ham, setting single-game preseason rushing records for the team that would, of course, eventually release him. No Philip Lindsay to leapfrog the running back that the team used its precious draft capital to select. Hey, even Terrell Davis partially attributes his Hall of Fame career to making a special teams tackle against San Francisco in a preseason game in Tokyo. Listen, don't let anyone fool you into thinking that we hate the preseason because we don't. Far from it. Where else do you expect me to hang my dreams of Chad Kelly becoming a starting quarterback or Ryan Nall finally getting a share of the Bears' backfield touches. We love preseason football. At least the junkies do. The Hall of Fame game is the first little hit for our pigskin addiction after six painful months of cold turkey sobriety and a failed attempt to care about your local baseball team. It doesn't matter if Cooper Rush or Delvin Hodges are your starting quarterbacks. Who cares? It's football. Now, preseason games in some form or fashion have actually been around since the 1920s in the early days of the NFL's formation. It was actually called barnstorming when pro football teams would tour the country like a traveling circus and take on opponents in these exhibition games. In 1925, University of Illinois tailback Red Grange left school early to join the circus for a 19-game tour over 66 days. He earned $100,000 in combined salary and his share of the ticket sales as the main attraction. Now, adjusted for inflation in 2020, that's just under 1.5 million in straight cash, homie. Take that for data. In that 100-year history, the preseason has never been canceled, at least not in its entirety. The 1940s, World War II, yep, we had preseason. The closest thing is uh, in 1917, they say, right? The, the, great, the great pandemic certainly was a terrible thing where they lost anywhere from 50 to 100 million people. Probably ended the Second World War. All the soldiers were sick. 1967, during the height of Vietnam, Bart Starr and Vince Lombardi's Packards steamrolled through their six preseason opponents with a combined score of 157 to 58. On August 4th, 1990, the Broncos played the Seahawks in the Toshiba American Bowl at the Tokyo Dome in Japan. Two days before that, on August 2nd, Iraq invaded Kuwait in what was the impetus to the Gulf War and Desert Storm. That game was also the first NFL action for a seventh-round draft pick named Shannon Sharp. For a hundred years, nothing has stopped the preseason. Nope, not until Miss Crayola virus. 2020 was a terrible year to go undrafted. It was a terrible year not to receive a combine invitation. Players like Temple wide receiver Isaiah Wright, SMU running back Xavier Jones, and Mom Miss Pete Guerrero never had the opportunity to showcase their own athletic 
athletic readiness for the NFL, given that the pandemic hit during that peak pro day season. Unfortunate all around, especially for Guerrero, who declared early for the NFL and, and then has yet to find an NFL team. Now, while 2020 was a terrible year to be an undrafted free agent, it's going to be the easiest year ever to identify the undrafted free agents who could become fantasy relevant. And there will be those players. There are every year. NFL teams, they lose the ability to hide the ball when they make draft selections. The same could be said for roster cutdown day. When the season kicks off on September 10th, fingers crossed, coaches will not have had the chance to observe this new crop of NFL rookies under game conditions against non-team competition. Remember, the NFL prohibited joint team practices this training camp season also. So an undrafted free agent even making the team this year should be considered a major statement by the organization that this player has shown enough in practice and in the meeting rooms to show that they are ready to make a contribution to the team. NFL practices are about getting players ready for games. Reps are given to those who are going to be contributing. No one's there to make any one player better, let alone players who the team didn't spend any draft capital on. So with no OTAs, no preseason, no joint practices, if an undrafted free agent makes the team this year, it is a huge deal in comparison to any other season. So without further ado, these are the five undrafted free agents that I am betting on becoming fantasy relevant at some point in the future. Now is not the time for fear. That comes later. Now, the number five player on my list is at serious risk of getting kicked off. And this would not be the first time or the second time that this player has been kicked off of something. He was a much ballyhooed four-star prospect in his class and ranked by 24-7 Sports ahead of the likes of Jalen Rager, CeeDee Lamb, Tamarion Terry, KJ Hamler, and Tylen Wallace, just to name a few, and he was considered that talented. I tweeted before the draft that this player was the best punt returner in the class, and I still believe that, right up there with Jalen Rieger. And that's appropriate because this player turns into a punt returner when the ball is in his hands. If you like watching big plays and exciting highlights, then you're probably already keeping tabs on the number five player on my list if you haven't figured out who it is already. And that, of course, is former Miami Hurricane Jeff Thomas, who signed with the New England Patriots. Jeff Thomas, man, he is so talented. He is so talented. He can play outside. He can play inside. He can go deep. He can catch a bubble screen and take it to the house. But I think an underrated portion of his game is his toughness. He'll make a catch in between a corner and safety while taking a hit in the seam. He's just he's just so versatile, and I love versatility. He could become the long-term replacement to Julian Edelman in the slot, but he has the character red flags. He had this, he has the character for red flags and the knuckleheadedness. With reports of getting kicked off his high school team and then kicked off Miami by coach Mark Brick before Manny Diaz brought him back. I mean, ugh, all this nonsense around. And then there was news that he was absent from the first two days of Patriots padded practices. Cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Listen, that aside, Thomas has the talent to make the team and the talent to be an asset for the Pats and therefore your fantasy teams. Now, looking at their roster, looking at the Pats roster, there are four wide receiver spots that are probably locked up, five if you include Matthew Slater. But then they have Nikhil Harry, Julian Edelman, Mohamed Sanu, and Jacoby Myers, all of whom are probably going to make the team, obviously. That means that Thomas is probably competing with Demir Bird and Gunnar Olszewski for the sixth wide receiver spot. And that could be a tall task this year because Bird has NFL experience and Olszewski has uh, experience with the Pats. He was there, there with them last year. So look for Thomas to get put on the practice squad, but hopefully a year in the NFL at the bottom of an NFL roster will help him mature. Now, whereas Jeff Thomas might be headed to the practice squad, the number four player on my list has a 
chance to make the team out of the gate. This player is a running back with 98 career college receptions, and his receiving is his calling card. He's a good receiving back. He can run wheel routes out of the backfield. You can line him out wide, and he'll run a go or a slant, and he'll burn your linebackers on arrow routes out of the backfield. He had a 95th percentile college target share. Now, as a runner, he's not overly exciting. There's not one particular trait that would get you pumped, and he didn't have a pro day or record any measurables that I can find, but just from the film, he's not excessively fast or elusive. He just kind of does everything okay as a runner. The number four player on my list is former CMU running back Jonathan Ward, who signed with the Arizona Cardinals, and you have to love his landing spot, right? It's a perfect fit. I don't know that Jonathan Ward is the best pure runner, but it doesn't matter in Arizona because Cliff Kingsbury doesn't want to run the ball anyway. I think Ward's ceiling is a James White or Theo Riddick type of role, and those players aren't comps because those two players were way more elusive than Ward appears to be to me, but I think that that's the type of role where, where Ward would excel, and he's a perfect match for the Cardinals. Now, in looking at that depth chart, there's nothing really after Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds. I mean, I'm in, and I'm including Eno Benjamin. I'm not sure that Benjamin being taken in the seventh round secures his roster position because that third round back is going to have to be involved on special teams, kickoff, kick return, gunner, etc. So I think it'll come down to a battle between Benjamin and Ward for that third running back spot. If Jonathan Ward does become fantasy relevant, it wouldn't be the first time that a CMU Chippewa had come out of nowhere to do so. Now, the last three players on my list are personal favorites of mine and all for different reasons. The number three player is a wide receiver. And you can look at him from an analytical perspective and say, okay, this player is intriguing. But you can watch his film and say, okay, this guy has got some game. Let's talk about his numbers. He broke out at 19.4, which is the 80th percentile breakout age. And breakout age is one metric that I love to pay attention to for wide receivers. His career yards per catch average is 19.0. Okay, so to put that in perspective, um, Jamar Chase is 19.6. CeeDee Lamb is 19, just like this player. Henry Ruggs is 17.5. Jerry Judy is 17.2. And Jalen Rieger is 15.2. So this player was used in the vertical passing game as a collegian. And that 19.0 number, that's supported by his speed. He ran a 4.44 at his pro day. Let's talk about his film. There is a match between his physical attributes and what you see on his film evaluation. You watch him on tape and yep, he's fast. He can run away from cornerbacks. When he's running towards the end zone, you'll see that gap get wider between himself and the chasing defender. He's really good after the catch. I wouldn't say he's as good as Jeff Thomas, but he can make people he can make people miss. He has 69 career rushes, so he was used in all aspects of the offense. Now, I've observed that one of the most important things for creating separation at the wide receiver position, it's not just speed, but it's the ability to change speeds very rapidly. And the one thing that stands out to me about this player is his ability to play under control at top speed, which allows him to change speed and change directions on a dime. The number three player on my list is former main wide receiver Ernest Edwards, who signed with the Los Angeles Rams. He is explosive. Now, looking at the Rams depth chart, there are four wide receiver positions that are locked up between Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Josh Reynolds, and Van Jefferson. After that, it's pretty wide open between a few other undrafted free agents, including Tristan Jackson, who had an explosive last season himself last year at Syracuse. And I really like Jackson as an undrafted free agent, but I had to choose between him and Edwards, and I chose Edwards, and here's why. One, Edwards was productive every year at Maine, including his freshman year. Jackson wasn't. He didn't do anything at Michigan State for his first two years, and then he transferred to Syracuse 
Syracuse and sat out a year and then had one good year as a redshirt junior and then left for the NFL. On the other hand, at Maine, Edwards returned punts, kicks, he ran the ball. He even has five, five career touchdown passes. Edwards' punt and kick return ability will be the key to his roster spot, and reports are that he's already returning punts and kicks in camp. Now, I think the number two player on my list is the most talented of all the players that I'll talk about today. But he's number two because the number one player has a clearer path to playing time. This running back has a zero to 60 get up that is extremely impressive. He's the type of player that you think could take it to the house every single time he touches it. In fact, I think that this player would have had a chance to be drafted, but he suffered a torn ACL in 2016 and an ankle injury ended his season in 2017. So he didn't have this consistent production for the entirety of his college career. But when he was finally healthy in 2018 and 2019, he posted over 1,200 rushing yards in each season, and I think he posted over 1,400 his senior season. But listen to these career yards per carry number. True freshman, 6.4. Sophomore, 6.7. Now, he received a medical redshirt his sophomore year. His junior season, 7.7. His senior season, 6.0. And his redshirt senior season, 5.5. Now, this player actually went to the combine. He was one of the few late-round prospects that I love to analyze who actually did receive a combine invitation. And I tweeted before the draft that this player reminded me of Philip Lindsay. And then this player got signed by the Broncos. The number two back on my list is Levante Bellamy, the former Western Michigan University running back. You look at Bellamy's profile, and there are other things to like, not including his gaudy yards per carry averages. Yes, he has a 30-catch season on his resume. He has a 27.9 91st percentile burst score. I think that Levante Bellamy can slide right into Devontae Booker's old roster spot as the backup to Philip Lindsay. So now you have Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay, and a back who is just as bursty as Philip Lindsay, if not more so, in Levante Bellamy. And I know that Royce Freeman is there, but if the Broncos really liked Royce Freeman, they wouldn't have signed Melvin Gordon. So go pick up Levante Bellamy and just just hold him. Just, just hold him and wait. Now, the number one player is number one on this list because he has both the skill set and the opportunity this year to put up fantasy-relevant weeks. And if things break right, it's in the range of outcomes for this player to put up RB1 weeks this season. Think about that. Get this player now, hold him, wait for the opportunity to to come, and then you can either flip the player for a value or just keep him and start him. The funny thing is, is that despite being an undrafted free agent, this player has already generated some value, some buzz. I was in a recent campus to Canton startup, and this player was taken in the 21st round ahead of the likes of Giovanni Bernard, Miles Boykin, Gerald Everett, Josh Reynolds, and Darwin Thompson, just to name a few. And I I see shades of a combination of two players with this player. Mike Tolbert, the old Carolina Panthers running back slash fullback, and C.J. Anderson. So, the number one player who will go from zero to hero, from undrafted free agent to startable fantasy asset is... I need to know everything, who in the what and the where I need everything. And that is the Sharp Review for this, the 10,458th day since the Detroit Lions last declared victory in a playoff game. In Los Angeles, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. I need to know everything. Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk. Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in silence, then let them and talk up their body, another one body. Now, do you want to know who the number one player on this list is? I'll email it to you, DM, send a carrier pigeon, in exchange for one of three things. Number one, 
tweet at my fantasy league and copy me at sharp review that's sharp with an e the hashtag free Ernest edwards okay i'm su- recording this on sunday august 23rd and Ernest edwards just a few days ago added to my fantasy league when I have tagged them back in April about getting this player added. And this happens every single year where I am tagging my fantasy league about players that need to be added because I'm in 32 team leagues where these players actually are significant. Last year, it was Patrick Laird. The year before that, it was Mike Boone, where I'm saying, my fantasy league, please add these players because I need to add them to my rosters. So tweet at my fantasy league and copy me at Sharp Review, the hashtag free Ernest Edwards. I got to call up my mama and tell her I made it as soon as my log's done. Number two, make a donation of any kind to yourlegalaid.org backslash support legal aid. Again, make a donation of any amount to yourlegalaid.org backslash support legal aid. Legal aid does a tremendous job at supporting and fighting for the rights of the historically disenfranchised in our communities, minorities, the poor, the elderly. So go make a donation to yourlegalaid.org backslash support legal aid. Number three, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Tweet at me at Sharp Review with evidence of any of those three, and I'll DM you my number one undrafted free agent fantasy target. Do people know that? Do people know that the Lions and Browns had this annual college-style preseason game called the Great Lakes Classic? There's a trophy for it in everything. You know how, like, the Big Ten has, like, the Paul Bunyan trophy? Well, the Lions and Browns, have a trophy for a preseason game called the Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald Trophy. How nuts is that? That two floundering franchises could have a game to anoint the best of them. I think that I think they should go bigger than the trophy, though. There should be Great Lakes Classic like Super Bowl rings. They could design a hollowed out plastic ring and fill it with the tears of their fans. Rod Marinelli is still coaching. He's the D-line coach for the Raiders. I would love to hear a beat reporter ask him if he has a special place in his house for his 2008 wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald trophy. Like maybe he made a replica of it or something. Because the Lions won that game in 2008, week three of the preseason. And we know what happened after that. Peace, a crate full of heat, an army, a fleet, a tank, and a jeep, a navy, a sea, where they some marine, an ace up their sleeve, a team of marines, a freak on a leash, a beast. And going through the preseason stories and how it's never been canceled and stuff like that, I came across some really cool stuff about Washington Hall of Fame receiver Bobby Mitchell. Um, and I didn't include it in the in the main show because it's actually a regular season statistic, but I'm going to include it now. So on on Sunday, October 21st, 1962, Bobby Mitchell went eight for 147 and two in a win over the Eagles. Now, just think about, you know, that era of football. That's a good stat line for 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 I mean, for today's NFL, but impressive um, for that time in the NFL. Now, less than 24 hours later, John Kennedy would go on national television to address the nation and notify everyone that the Soviet Union had long range nuclear missiles installed in Cuba. So. Bobby Mitchell goes off against the Philadelphia Eagles. A few hours later, Cuban Missile Crisis. Good evening, my fellow citizens. This government, as promised, has maintained the closest surveillance of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. Within the past week, unmistakable evidence has established the fact that a series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on that imprisoned island. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability 
against the Western Hemisphere. Each of these missiles, in short, is capable of striking Washington, D.C., the Panama Canal, Cape Canaveral, Mexico City, or any other city in the southeastern part of the United States. The next week, the next Sunday, Bobby Mitchell went five for 158 and two against the Giants. I mean, just think about that. Think about that era of football. That two-game streak would be impressive in today's NFL, let alone while being on the brink of nuclear war. By letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk. Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science, then let them and talk up their body. Another one body, that's just how it go. I got some secrets, I'm shaking the game. I noticed at the end of recording this that the Jets are like the common thread through all the preseason stories. Amir Abdullah, that juke in the preseason where he ran, he juked out some linebacker and then went for 60 yards and everybody got psyched about him. That was against the Jets. It was Demario Davis who he juked out and ran and made that run. Then Danny Woodhead, Danny Woodhead put up the the highest preseason rushing total since 1992. I think it was 158 and two touchdowns. And then the Jets didn't even keep him. And then Victor Cruz, I distinctly remember Victor Cruz running around in a number three jersey and he was just torching the Jets secondary and that was before anyone knew who victor cruz was a marine an ace up their sleeve a team of marines a freak on a leash a beast with an appetite razor for teeth and still they would lay at my feet boy you i think ernest edwards number is an early indication that he can make the team he's number 18 have you ever noticed that for the skill position players in the preseason the players who aren't going to make the team they get this the single digit number at least the skill positions do just for example, since Ernest Edwards is with the Rams, his undrafted free agent teammate, Aesop Winston Jr., he's number four. I have a lot of memories about players making their debuts in the preseason. And I mean, I could go on and on, but one really quick is Derrick Henry. When he came out in 2016 and the Titans had DeMarco Murray. And I remember Derrick Henry getting some of his first preseason snaps. I just thought... This guy is going to hurt somebody. I mean, he was just so big and so fast and got chunk run after chunk run because nobody wanted to tackle him in the second quarter of a preseason game. And I, I, I mean, I watched him in college, but I mean, he was so big and fast in college that you kind of expected him to run the way he did. But to do that on the NFL level was just so impressive. And it should not have taken the Titans as long as it did to turn a Derrick Henry as a feature back. Telling me. I'm curious, George. Apologies to Matt Kelly. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. Two days before that, on August 2nd, Iraq invaded Kuwait. And what was the impetus to the goal? Ah, come on.